Uh, welcome to Tosnua. This is an honor for us. More junkies talk about your book than missing the bus. If you don't have it, it's called Getting Sober Without God. Of course you do. I see all your junkies nod. Uh, yeah, Mr. Munn, take your time. Say whatever you want. Um, yeah, please. Up to you, my well, friend. Thanks so much for having me. It's really uh, it's exciting to be here. I can't tell if it's more nerve-wracking to speak in front of this many people live or on Zoom, but they're both nerve-wracking. So um, can everybody hear me okay? Okay. Some people are saying not so much. I have a funky mic. I can turn the gain up a little bit. Hopefully that'll help. I'll get closer to the mic. So thank you so much for asking me to to uh, to speak here. I, uh, as much as I like to hear myself talk, I am okay to just sort of give you some some basic information about myself and my recovery journey. Um, if you'd like, I'll talk about my book a little bit. I don't want to come here to self promote. That's certainly not my intention. So, you know. Um, and I don't know if you do any kind of question and answer thing, but I'm generally much better at answering questions than I am just talking about myself for an extended period of time. But uh, maybe we can play it by ear. So I uh, just want to start by saying that um, very, very grateful to be here. I am grateful for my sobriety. Um, this March 4th, I got... Uh, I, hit 15 years of sobriety and um, that's sobriety from alcohol. Just, uh, I tried, I, alcohol was a big part of my life, but I uh, dabbled in a lot, a lot of other drugs as well. And uh, really was what some people refer to as a garbage can or garbage pail addict, where I would just sort of take whatever was available. My thing was escaping you know, before I ever got into drugs or alcohol, I was into video games and fantasy and things like that. So it was always just about not being present and not experiencing what was uh, happening in my present moment. Um, I do not claim to be any kind of authority on recovery. I, my story is that... Um, you know, I got sober. I've always been sort of a been iffy on the concept of a higher power or God. Uh, when I first got into the 12 step rooms, I actually I really liked it and felt at home pretty quick. Um, and the constant mention of God and higher power and stuff kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I liked meetings enough and I liked the people there enough that I thought I'd, I'd give it a try. And it just never quite felt right to me. Um, and so I really fought it. And at one point it led to, you know, a relapse and I was, you know, out for a couple months until I, uh, uh, decided to get back in. And, and when I got back into recovery after my relapse, I decided to weigh more heavily on just psychotherapy and, and a more sort of medical, um, psychotherapeutic approach. And I benefited so much from going to a rehab where there were some really good therapists that I wanted to become a therapist. And uh, so I did and um, 
I earned my master's degree in clinical psychology while I was, you know, kind of also working the 12 steps and pretty active in, in the uh, traditional meetings. And so I, I just, I noticed that a lot of the things that I was learning in the field of psychology and, and counseling really made a lot of sense in light of the 12 steps. Like there was a lot, there was a lot of overlap and I found for myself that I could make sense of it sort of just in a very common sense, practical way uh, that worked for me. And so that's the approach that I take. I, you know, if I don't, I don't, um, think any of what's happening for me is mystical or supernatural. I think it's all, you know, it's all based in psychology and reality. And there are ways to explain it. And there are ways to explain it simply so that I can understand it. And I can then relay that to other people. So they can understand in simple common sense terms, you know, how recovery works, or at least how it may work for them. I certainly hold no grudges against anybody who uh, incorporates spirituality or, or um, belief in God into their recovery. I think it's uh, I think the act of faith is a very powerful thing. I think there's absolutely a place for it for many people. And if I'm a fan of whatever works. So if you're able to get sober by any means necessary, I, I applaud you and there's no judgment whatsoever. Uh, but for me, it just didn't, it, I didn't take very well to the, to the religious, I say religious, even though I know it's technically spiritual, not religious, but it felt religious to me, the more, the more religious approach. Um, so for me, recovery has been a matter of changing my lifestyle drastically, um, basically by changing who I spend my time with, what I do to take care of myself, how I communicate with other people, because so much for me, addiction was so much about relationships to other people. It was so relational. Um, you know, I was never very good at speaking up for myself, standing up for myself, asking for my needs to be met, setting boundaries with people. And I think a lot of my discomfort came from just not knowing how to navigate relationships and to, to navigate the world of other human beings. And so that's been a huge, huge part. Um, growing up, I always felt insecure. I was always hyper focused on what other people thought about me. Uh, I always had sort of this external locus of control, this idea of what I was supposed to look like to other people. And that was what, you know, I, I, I focused on was what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to look to other people? And how do I do that? And I always fell short because there's always people who um, you're never going to make any, everybody happy. And, um, you know, I later did work realizing that a lot of that comes from, you know, my mother and some of the ways that I was raised and some narcissism in my family and stuff like that. But I can I can get more into that another time. But but basically, I was hyper concerned about what other people thought of me. I didn't have my own very strong sense of self. And recovery really helped with that, it helped me learn what I wanted for myself, what my beliefs and values were and how to live by those. And it also taught me some new values that were uh, just 
pivotal for me and and, and the main one be, I know I'm jumping all over the place so uh, I apologize but uh, one of the biggest ones for me is just it is rigorous honesty and self uh, self-reflection have, have been if there are two things that have been the most crucial for me staying sober and staying in sort of a recovery mindset it's the um, it's rigorous honesty in all aspects of my life and constant self-reflection. So just no matter what, in any situation, if I'm, you know, 1% wrong and the other person's 99% wrong, I do what I can to look at my 1% that I did wrong um, or that I could improve on. And then just being honest and, and honest, not meaning honest meaning also just genuine of honest about what I'm feeling honest about what I prefer in a given situation even if it's just uh, you know like something as simple as I you know I didn't sleep well and I'm kind of tired so I'm grumpy right now like stuff like that I never knew how to say when I was in my addiction like little things like that about just just speaking my truth and talking about where I was emotionally mentally um, I didn't know how to do. And so just being honest and being real and being open has been huge for me. And it's also resulted in relationships that act have actual intimacy where I actually am connected to other people. And I never had that when I was in my addiction, all my relationships, when I was in my addiction were very superficial or based on some sort of, some sort of addictive behavior or some superficial shared interest so it wasn't until you know i learned how to be my authentic self to use a new age coachy term i it wasn't until i learned basically who i was and was more comfortable with who i was that i was able to have actual meaningful relationships and that was a big part of my recovery, you may have all heard of sort of the, the research study that was done with rats where they're all like, uh, some of these rats become addicts, but then when you put them in this sort of perfect rat life where they have a lot of socialization and exercise and all this stuff, they just naturally don't um, develop addictive behaviors. And the idea was that the opposite of addiction is connection. And I think, you know, I, I would never base my beliefs about something on off of one study but i think there's a lot of truth to that and that for me the opposite of addiction is is connection and authentic connection uh so that's been that's been key for me um as well I'm trying to think of what else i mean that's that's really I, I try to keep it really simple for myself it's really, it's really simple. I do, you know, I, I will do revisit some steps on occasion. I definitely have to revisit uh, my resentments fairly often. Um, little, sometimes little ones will just pop back up. And uh, I make it, a, I make it a point to when they pop up to go, oh, looks like that's there. Um, I got to do something about that. I can't hold on to this, you know, even if it's quote unquote justified. Um, and again, that regular self-reflection, which I, 
preach a lot in my in my book and in the work that I do with other people is just like just look even if it's just for a couple minutes at the end of every day I just I look back and okay what did I do today did I do anything to hurt anybody did I do anything to hurt myself is there anything I need to apologize for and then I try and I try and clean things up um I by my nature I'm a very avoidant person and I've found for me, addiction is just one big act of avoidance. It's one big act of just not being here, not being present, um, not dealing with whatever challenge is in front of me, with whatever conflict is in front of me, and just staying in my safe little bubble. And that is my, that's my tendency. That's what I prefer. And so I, I have to not do that. <laughs> I have to do the opposite of that. And it gets easier with time, but um, that's something that I strive to do every day, whether it's, whether it's directly facing a, a relationship issue that I have with somebody else, with my wife, with my daughter, um, or if it's um, just something, something with myself. I... Um, a little bit of my history, I did not have, uh, I did not have a very sort of, I didn't have, I don't have a very exciting story. I was a very low functioning, boring addict. It was really, really boring. Like I, I would stay home and get high and drink and pass out and do it again. <laughs> It was really, it was pretty sad. And it was good to a certain extent because I was, I was a pretty low bottom, at least internally. You know, I had enablers in my life that kept me out of jail and things like that. But internally, I mean, I was just, just massively depressed and anxious and struggled with anxiety and OCD, which I didn't even discover until I was about, until I was about 27. I think I was finally diagnosed with OCD and I was like, oh, that's what that is. Um, so it was all self-medication. Partying was a very, very small part of it. Going out and doing stuff and feeling like, you know, I had this exciting life. That, that wasn't it. I just wanted oblivion. I wanted to be gone. I wanted to be in my own world. That was it. And, um, so I did that. I sought that, uh, uh, relentlessly. I sought that experience and, you know, my bottom, luckily, was internal. You know, I, I hear people talk about hitting bottom sort of as an, as an external thing, like, oh, when I got arrested, that was me hitting bottom. I think of it for myself more as an internal state. Like, and what could be externally a, a, a bottom-like situation for one person may not be for another. For me, what's shared between all, all bottoms is a internal sense of I can't do this anymore. I, I, this is, I'm done. I am done. This is not working. And it's just this absolute realization that this is not, this isn't it anymore. This is not the path. And, uh, you know, that, that happened for me just because I was so filled with shame and doing things that were just demoralizing, like spending nights in dirty hotel rooms so I could, you know, 
smoke meth and things like that. It's just got, it got really gross. And uh, I know I, I, I know this is, I believe primarily AA, but I do drugs and other substances are part of my story. Um, but I'll keep it to a minimum. And, um, yeah, so I just, I, I just hated myself, absolutely hated myself. And that was my, and that was my bottom. And so luckily I decided to get sober. And one of the things that I really, I stress when I talk about my sobriety and my recovery, and I mention it in my book too, cause it's like, oh, this guy wrote a book. He thinks he's, you know, he's got it all figured out. I am not, I'm not an authority. I'm not, I don't feel like I have some sort of special ability that other people don't have. Like I discovered this magic thing. I got very lucky. I have a lot of privilege. You know, I, I grew up in a middle-class family. I had the ability to afford certain kinds of treatment to afford inpatient treatment. I had a place to stay at all times, even though my life at home was miserable, I still had a place to stay. You know, I enabling generally is discouraged, but I don't know if my parents didn't enable me for a while, I may have died. I may have ended up in jail. I may, you know, so a lot of this is just luck of the draw. I don't, I, I don't take pride in any, in really any of my recovery. I feel like a, a lot of it is just situations that I ended up in and luck of the draw and tools that I was lucky enough to receive. And so I really try to replace pride with gratitude. I'm very, very grateful that I ended up in the position I was in. I'm grateful that I ended up in the position where I had exposure to both the field of psychology and the 12 step program. So I, so I just happened to be in a situation where I could sort of make the two fit for me and then you know, found that I wanted to share that with other people. And so that's what I did. And, and, you know, every time somebody uh, tells me how much they've benefited from my work or things that I've done, it's just, it's, it's still hard for me to hear because I don't want anybody to think like there's anything that special about me other than, other than my circumstances. And, and so I'm very grateful that, you know, I, I, had the opportunity that I did to get sober and to have these experiences and to develop this understanding of recovery that works for me and, and to share that with other people. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've touched on everything. I don't know. I don't know. Do you guys usually do some sort of Q and a or something? I don't know. I'm so much better at asking questions than I am or answering questions than I am. It just, rambling about myself. I get bored of myself quickly. So I guess I'll end it there. <laughs> Open it up for whatever's next. <laughs> yeah. Hi, guys. I mean, I wasn't actually going to ask a question, but I'm a little bit um, surprised just because I didn't ex I didn't know you were going to do the, the chair, Jeffrey, and it took me through half your chart. I was like, this guy's really good. Like, I like what he's saying. And then I'm like, Oh my God, it's Jeffrey Moon. And just because <laughs> it's like, yeah, Mark really invites some cool people, you know? And I mean, I'm reading your book and I, so I'm really surprised and, and amazed to hear you. And I just, um, yeah, we've, um, we've been doing um, a, 
a women's step study on um, group on uh, on your book, and, and I just absolutely love it. Um, but I suppose I just um, wanted to say that I, I got a lot of um, identification from you. Um, and also with what you just share back to the, 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 the other lady. Um, I also started in, in traditional uh, AA and, and, and I liked it and that worked until it didn't work anymore. And it's been a real blessing for me to find these meetings and uh, the literature like your book has been completely uh, transformative for me and very freeing, very freeing. Um, it has always been about fantasy for me as well, addiction. It can still be escapism, this kind of dissociation. And a lot of, for me, about recovery is learning to live in reality. And so I heard what you say about this. Um, I mean, for me, I suppose I found that quite attractive, the idea of the higher power, because it fed a little bit into this fantasy of, you know, someone will save you, all your dreams will come true. And then I realized it wasn't true. <laughs> So I had to learn to uh, really more acceptance of life and Buddhism, other tradition have helped me also a lot. Um, and I'm also uh, retraining to be a psychotherapist and that has helped me a lot. Like you said, it's just a lot of things make sense. And I also uh, value self-reflection as, 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 as a part of my life. And essential but one thing I add as well in my, my my reflection every day is looking at what went well it's something I've added to a sort of a, an inventory so even just in my head at night I'm like okay so what did I do well today because one thing for me about the the, the steps was that it was uh, and I mean I'm, I know you speak about it in your in your book but the very punitive uh, aspect uh, punishing punitive aspect and uh, you know looking at oh I've uh, I use it to beat myself up. So actually doing a review of myself, but um, also of the, of my qualities and so building a bit my self-esteem. Um, so I don't, don't really have any questions just because your share was absolutely feel very privileged to have heard it. Sorry, I don't know, I was muted, but um, yeah, I'll just leave it there and thank you again. Yeah, I have a question. Yeah, that's fine. Recording is fine. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Uh, I have not read your book yet, but um, I look forward to reading it. And um, what you just shared uh, about OCD and the narcissism, I relate uh, very much to. Um, I have a dad with um, a narcissistic, narcissistic personality disorder, and um, it's such a hard thing. Um, and that was the cause of some of my use. Um, and, uh, I, I have OCD too. I have ADD. I have all those anxiety disorders. Um, and, uh, but I just wanted to say, I really connected with what you said about that. Um, and, uh, it just, it plays a big role in addiction and, um, yeah, that's what I want to say. Hi, I'm Bridget, alcoholic. Um, thank you for sharing your story with us, um, Jeffrey. Um, I can really relate to a lot of it. You described my bottom really well, like just, it really was more internal. There weren't a lot of outside consequences. Um, I also, um, a lot of my stuff ha revolves around addic uh, like sort of addicted, addictive relationships and things like that, just 
problems there. And I'm actually kind of exploring that because I, I think I'm more codependent than alcoholic. I mean, I'm both, but I think codependence is really the primary issue. And I just was um, kind of wondering, you mentioned therapy and you mentioned rigorous honesty and self-reflection, but were there any things you did that were specific to um, relationships um, and, you know, developing healthier ones? Um, I, I know from step four, there is in the traditional world, there's like the relationship ideal or sex ideal as it's called. And I wonder if you ever had any experience with that. Um, I haven't done that. I've done my step four, but I didn't do that part. And I'm also a person who likes to avoid. So maybe I'm avoiding it. But anyway, I appreciate your share today and um, really love your book. So thanks so much. Thanks so much. Are you now are you primarily talking about uh, romantic relationships or just relationships in general? Um, I guess romantic, because that's kind of been my issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, I relate. And I'm, I'm, I'm married now to someone I've been with for 11 years who I met in program. And, you know, she's like a, she's a black belt Al-Anon and, um, you know, this relationships are just so weird and they're so tough and they're so uncomfortable for, uh, at least for me, um, you know, it's just very, there's so many misconceptions about relationships and what relationships should look like and how a person should feel in a relationship. Um, and it's just, I, I had to learn kind of what a relationship was and what a relationship wasn't, what some of the red flags were for me. So, so one of the biggest red flags for me in a relationship was if I instantly fell in love with the person, <laughs> which people talk about, being like, you know, it was love at first sight. And I'm like, Ooh, no, that's be careful. <laughs> like maybe, maybe. All right. I, I believe it's possible, but for me, it was just a huge red flag because that usually means there's some sort of dysfunctional pattern there that like my inner child is magnetically drawn to. And, you know, it's a, there's something, there's something familiar about it. And it's like a trauma bond sort of thing. And it usually become it's usually because I'm attracted to what I think this person is or some very superficial thing that's representative of some ideal that I have. It, it, it's usually not about the person, basically, if I'm that attracted that quickly. And so when I met my wife, it was very much like a, a, a lukewarm friendship, which is not very romantic. Right. And it's not what you see in the Disney movies. Um, it was a very sort of just friendship. We enjoyed hanging out with each other. Then we enjoyed hanging out with each other a little bit more Then we got a little bit closer. And, and there were like, you know, things we had to work through early on and through that sort of just gradually becoming closer and getting to know each other better and learning how to navigate certain conflicts and things like that. That's where the real intimacy and the real connection developed for, for me. And I felt really close and, developed a love for this person um and she was also very healthy and had very good boundaries and that was to an extent i don't want to say a, a turnoff but it was scary for me you know I, I i as someone who had difficulties with intimacy and and rejection i wanted a partner who 
was going to just be all about me, right? Because it gave me this sense of safety of like, oh, this person's this person's borderline obsessed with me, so it's a stable relationship. When in truth, is that's not been a healthy thing for me. And so the fact that she was able to take care of herself and have her own life and her own relationships was scary for me because it, it represented this sort of instability in the relationship in my mind because I don't have this guarantee that she's thinking about me all the time she's only about me you know i had to i had to have more confidence in myself to be able to live in that kind of relationship and i had to know how to talk about those insecurities when they came up and how to check them out with her and you didn't return my call am i you know is this it, does this mean you hate me or am i just being am i just engaged in some my you know crappy thinking like, and to be able to ask that and get a response and get an honest response. And no, I don't hate you. I was just, I have other things going on. <laughs> You're not on my mind all the time. So just little stuff like learning how a relationship, how a healthy relationship develops and what it's not uh, was really important to me. And there's just so many, I mean, if you want to know what an unhealthy relationship is, generally speaking, watch a, watch a romance movie or listen to a love song. It's just all about codependence and this is you're my one and only and I can't live if living is without you. And it's it's just it's not the way I had to find out that that wasn't the way it worked for me.